0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from antiwar.com, and this is anti war news for Thursday, November 17th, 2022. So, there's a lot of back and forth over this missile that hit Poland. And on Wednesday, both NATO and Poland, as well as the US, actually said that it was most likely a Ukrainian missile. That landed in Poland that was fired from their missile defense system. They said it was, um, they were trying to intercept the Russian missile and that it was an accident. And they didn't, uh, you know, blame Ukraine for the incident. But because Zelensky, even after that, came out and said that it was not a Ukrainian missile, um, it looks like there's a little trouble between Ukraine and its Western backers. So the first story at the top of antiwar.com today. Ukraine at odds with Western backers over missile that hit Poland. So Zelensky said on Wednesday that he's confident the missile did not come from his country even after NATO, Poland, and the U.S. said it was likely fired by Ukrainian air defenses. He said, quote, I have no doubt that it was not our rocket, end quote. He said that he uh, reached this assessment based on reports from his military commanders, what his high-level military officials told him. He said, quote, I believe that it was a Russian missile based on the credibility of the reports of the military, end quote. He also called for Ukraine to be allowed to conduct its own investigation into the matter. So speaking to Financial Times, a diplomat, an unnamed diplomat from a NATO country, expressed frustration in response to Zelensky's comments and did not sound very happy. So this diplomat said, quote, this is getting ridiculous. The Ukrainians are destroying our confidence in them. Nobody is blaming Ukraine and they are openly lying. This is more destructive than the missile, end quote. So that's a pretty serious quote. Again, you know, it's just an anonymous NATO diplomat from a NATO country. So um, who knows what what country it is, but I think that's pretty significant. And, you know, what Zelensky is doing here, I mean, it's it's pissing a lot of people off and, and not just, you know, NATO and like who's backing them, but just people in general and just seeing a lot of outrage over how Zelensky and Ukrainian officials handled this whole situation. Um, when news of the missile hitting Poland first broke, Zelensky and his top aides, They framed the incident as a deliberate Russian attack on a NATO member, and they implied that the military alliance should take action. And of course, any NATO strikes on Russia would mean World War III, which could quickly spiral into nuclear war. Ukraine's foreign minister, (laughs) Dmitry Kuleba, he even said that the idea that a Ukrainian missile hit Poland was a conspiracy theory being spread by Russia. So he said this on Tuesday before NATO and uh, Poland and the U.S. said it was likely a Ukrainian missile, but still, this was after a while, and it was clear to a lot of people that that it was a Ukrainian missile at this point. He said, quote, Russia now promotes a conspiracy theory that it was allegedly a missile of Ukrainian air defense that fell on the Polish theory, which is not true. No one should buy Russian propaganda or amplify its messages, end quote. But then the following day, NATO confirmed that it was likely a Russian missile. So this is Hen Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary General. He said, quote, our preliminary analysis suggests that the incident was likely caused by a Ukrainian air defense missile fired to defend Ukrainian territory against Russian cruise missile attacks, end quote. Poland reached a similar conclusion and made a similar statement, and the U.S. has said that it has not seen evidence to contradict what they have the concluded. And, you know, so the missile landed in Poland as Russia was launching a pretty massive missile barrage across Ukraine. And so Ukraine's air defenses, you know, were really being tested and it looks like there was a misfire or something like that happened. Uh, And then you have, you know, NATO not being very careful not to blame Ukraine and NATO and the U.S. both say, you know, they both said Russia bears ultimate responsibility Um, But so they did say that and there's been a lot of headlines that say, you know, the U.S. says Russia bears ultimate responsibility. But I could see how that alarms some people. But there's no sign right now that there's going to be an escalation. Stoltenberg said he sees no threats from Russia. um, And Poland was considering calling consultations with NATO allies on the incident under Article 4. But now they're saying that's not necessary. So it's not like they're going to hit Russia for this or anything like that. But they're still saying that. And they're saying, you know, it's not Ukraine's fault. You know, they were giving them a pretty big pass on this. But then he saw Zelensky say that, uh, you know, just deny, 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 not apologize or or anything. I mean, two Polish uh, civilians are dead because of this. Um, So, yeah, it's just been really strange to watch this whole story develop and remember the first thing that was reported was a u.s intelligence official speaking to ap saying that it was a russian missile that hit poland so this whole situation uh just was pretty crazy for for a couple days there um but it seems like it settled down uh the thing i went over yesterday biden saying it was not likely russia that did it that kind of really eased off the tensions i think All right, the next one here. So uh, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he is back at it saying that he reaffirmed on Wednesday that he sees an opportunity for peace talks between Russia and Ukraine and that the chances of a Ukrainian military victory happening anytime soon are not high. So he gave this big, long press conference alongside Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, and he said a lot of the typical stuff in there. It was pretty packed with that. Saying, "Oh, the Ukrainians uh, have done such a great job. Russia's on their last leg. They're really taking a beating." But he's also saying, you know, that well. I'll just read what what he said. I'll read his quotes here. He told reporters, "Quote: In terms of probability, the probability of a Ukrainian military victory, defined as kicking the Russians out of all Ukraine, to include what they define or what they claim as Crimea." The probability of that happening anytime soon is not high militarily, end quote. And he said that the areas Ukraine has recaptured in Kharkiv and Kherson are relatively small compared with the territory that Russia controls. Milly said it's possible that Ukraine could achieve some of its goals politically through diplomacy, the four-letter word there. <laughs> he said, quote, there may be a political solution where Politically the Russians withdraw that's possible you want to negotiate from a position of strength Russia right now is on its back end quote so he's still saying in there that Russia is you know hurting so bad right now um but you know he's saying that they could achieve something diplomatically and realistically they're never going to get Russia to withdraw from Crimea but still I uh maybe some other territories who knows I'm not gonna get into that because it's so tough to say right now what could happen in potential peace talks. Let's let them start first. Um, But Millie said that he believes he said this again, the fighting could slow down in the winter, providing the opportunity for diplomacy. Austin, on the other hand, um, he said that he believes fighting will slow this fall as fall goes into winter, but that things could pick up again once the ground hardens. So it's very muddy now. And when the winter comes, the ground gets hard and they could, there could be more movement is what he's saying. Um, and Russia could also be preparing to launch a major offensive this winter. That's what a lot of Russian, um, media is saying. And, uh, other people that, that follow the military aspect of stuff pretty closely are are saying the same thing. It's not just, you know, Russia saying it because Russia did mobilize 300,000 fresh troops. They're reinforcing all these areas. And, uh, something that kind of went a little under the radar on Wednesday. Uh, so Russia launched this huge missile barrage across Ukraine on Tuesday. And it looks like according to South front where the, I have their map here of the, the battle lines for the day and the action that happened Oh, and the link's not working now. Oh, there it is. Uh, but they have these little uh, circle, orange circles here where Russia launched more strikes across Ukraine. So that continued on Wednesday. Um, and, and, I'm guessing they're still targeting energy infrastructure, everything like that. So things are not looking good for Ukrainian civilians that have to, um, you know, winter's coming for them and have to worry about heating their homes and stuff and their powers getting bombed. And it's really a horrible situation. Um, And Zelensky, I'm going to get into this in the next story, but Zelensky signaled, maybe uh, he's open to talks, but who knows really with him. Um, But while there's there, there's, much more talk of diplomacy now. I just have to mention we can't be too optimistic here because Austin's, you Austin's know, primary message in this press briefing, this press conference, was that they would support Ukraine in the war for as long as it takes. And they held it after they attended another meeting of the Ukrainian Defense Contact Group, which consists of representatives, mostly defense ministers, from about 50 countries. So they hold these meetings and say, yeah, we're going to keep arming Ukraine. And uh, Austin is saying that they all said, yeah, for as long as it takes. And again, to continue supporting Ukraine, the White House just asked Congress to approve $37.7 billion in new aid for Ukraine, which would bring the total U.S. spending on the war to about, give or take a few billion. But what's a few billion? Uh, About $105 All right, so the next one. So this is um, the diplomacy signals from Zelensky. He said on Wednesday that he has received signals from Western partners that Russian President Vladimir Putin desires direct negotiations with Ukraine. And Zelensky said that he proposed public talks with Russia in response. So this is according to Interfax Ukraine. He said, quote, I received signals that Putin wants direct negotiations I received such signals. I proposed a public forum because Russia is waging a public war, end quote. Um, So who knows exactly what he means by that, a public forum, like what are they going to televise the talks or something? But um, it's interesting to see him say that. And he also confirmed that CIA director, William Burns, he popped up in Kiev on Tuesday. And uh, as Russia was firing missiles at the city and Burns visited with, uh, Zelensky and he made that trip after talks in Turkey with his Russian counterpart uh, the Russian spy chief the head of the SVR. Zelensky said quote yesterday Burns sat in the bomb shelter and then we talked with him we discussed all the issues important to us we know each other he is on the side of Ukraine end quote. So a U.S. official told the Washington Post that in his meeting with Zelensky Burns quote reinforce the U.S. commitment to provide support to Ukraine in its fight against Russian aggression, end quote. So the U.S. insisted, if you remember, when he went to Turkey, that the talks with his Russian counterpart, they weren't about Ukraine or negotiations. No, they they said that they were about warning against the use of nuclear weapons and also U.S. Americans detained inside Russia. Um, but I'm sure, you know, that Ukraine came up. Um So we'll see if this goes anywhere. Uh, Before I record it, I I double-checked Russian media and stuff just to see if if Russia has responded to what Zelensky said, but I haven't seen anything uh, yet, but I'm sure there will be some kind of response or some reporters will ask them. Um, All right, so the next one. So this is surprising. So the G20 issued a joint declaration, a joint statement saying that most members condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, at the end of the joint of the Group of Twenty summit in Bali, Indonesia, the group released a joint declaration that said most members condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but acknowledged there are differing views, as Moscow is a G20 member as well as other countries that are hesitant to condemn the invasion, uh, like China. The declaration reads: "Quote, most members strongly condemned the war in Ukraine." and stressed it is causing immense human suffering and exacerbating existing fragilities in the global economy, end quote. It added that there were, quote, other views and different assessments of the situation and sanctions. Recognizing that the G20 is not the forum to resolve security issues, we acknowledge that security issues can have significant consequences for the global economy, end quote. Uh, So, it wasn't clear, and as I went over yesterday, it seemed like they weren't going to reach a consensus, consensus to issue a, a joint statement like this. Um, but Russia agreed uh, and to this one, and surprisingly, the Kremlin said that it was satisfied with the declaration. Um, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said that the different views and approaches on the issue were taken account and recorded in the declaration. So that's that. Uh, the next one here. So this is actually from the gray zone from Alex Rubenstein. Uh, blowback Italian police bust Azov Tide Nazi cell planning terror attacks. So Italian police announced a series of raids against the neo Nazi Order of Hegel organization. If I'm saying that right, Hegel, H A G A L. They have been accused of stockpiling weapons and planning terror attacks. And the group has established operational ties to the Ukrainian Azov Battalion. So the Azov Battalion is the infamous neo-Nazi militia. It started as a militia that was absorbed into Ukraine's National Guard. And they were the ones fighting in Mariupol. Uh, Five members of an Italian neo-Nazi organization known as the Order of the Hegel were arrested on November 15th, while an additional member remains wanted by authorities. He happened to be in Ukraine fighting Russian forces alongside the Azov Battalion, which has been formally integrated into the Ukrainian military. The Hegel members are accused of plotting terrorist attacks on civilian and police targets. A sixth member of the group, now considered a fugitive, is in Ukraine and embedded with the Azov Battalion. Members of the, this group reportedly maintain direct and frequent contacts over telegram with not just the Azov Battalion, but also the neo-Nazi Ukrainian military formation's right sector and centuria. Um, so it's possible that this was, according to Italian media, this communication was about recruitment, possible recruitment. Um, so this is an example, as, uh, he says here of, you know, the, the type of blowback that we could see from, uh, you know, flooding all these weapons into Ukraine where they have groups like this, um, And who knows, you know, we know that uh, there is a black market being established, it looks like, of weapons that are shipping into Ukraine, so who knows where they could end up. Uh, But there's, I I didn't see anything in here indicating that they had any kind of, you know, NATO or U.S. weapons, but maybe that's something that could happen in the future. So it's a a risk. Um, All right, so the next one here, the U.S. and Israel, they claim without evidence that Iran was behind a drone attack on a tanker near Oman. So U.S. and Israeli officials accused Iran of this on Wednesday, and so the attack took place late Tuesday. It was a Liberian-flagged tanker, Pacific Zircon. It was hit by an explosive-laden drone, causing a hole in the hull, but resulting in no injuries to the crew. The tanker is operated by Eastern Pacific Shipping, which is a company owned by an Israeli billionaire. So it's tied to Israel. It's not quite an israeli tanker but it it is tied to this israeli billionaire so general eric kurilla he is the head of u.s central command he claimed in comments to the wall street journal that iran was responsible and an israeli official speaking to the associated press said that it appeared the attack was carried out using a shahed 136 exploding drone which iran has allegedly been providing russia those are the drones that the U.S. and Ukraine are saying Iran has has given Russia or sold to Russia. Uh, but the Israeli official, along with the CENTCOM, you know, they offered no evidence to back up the claim. And it's, it's really tough to know with these tanker attacks. This is the first one I've seen in a while, but they for a while, for a few years, they happen pretty frequently. And, you know, everybody always blames Iran. And Iran and Israel often accuse each other of attacking tankers in the region. But uh, last year, the Wall Street Journal reported that Israel attacked at least a dozen ships in the region going back to 2019. So that was between 2019 and early 2021. And this report said that the targets were mostly Iranian vessels or ships carrying Iranian oil while transiting the Red Sea and other parts of the region. So again, you know, that's just an anonymous uh, a report, uh, but... Um, there were, you know, a lot of incidents with Iranian ships and Iran actually kind of was trying to downplay them, I guess, because they didn't want, um, you know, to make it seem like they weren't answering back. Um, so the attack on the Pacific Zircon, it came after a a week after Israeli airstrikes targeted a truck convoy headed into Syria from Iran. Um, oh, actually I got to fix that. It was heading into Syria from Iraq but it was said to be carrying Iranian fuel, and those strikes killed at least 10 people. Um, So if it was Iran, again, we don't know. There's no way to know right now. And they're they're not going to take credit for it if they did do it. Um, You know, It did come a week after Israel did that. So just keep that in mind. And of course, that context is usually missing from the mainstream reports on this. And actually, the next story here is related to that. Uh, This is from the new Arab this is a report citing Iraqi officials. They're saying that Israeli drones bombed Iranian fuel trucks heading to Lebanon. Uh, so these were the the airstrikes that hit a convoy of tanker trucks carrying Iranian fuel from the Iraqi Qaim border crossing into Syria last week were conducted by Israeli drones. Iraqi officials um, told us to the new Arabs, their Arabic uh, site. So late on Tuesday, November 8th, unidentified planes struck the convoy after they crossed the Iraqi territories and entered a Syrian city where the fuel is being discharged into Syrian tanker trucks. Since 2017, the Iran-backed Iraqi Shia militias controlled this border crossing and its surrounding areas, using it as a key corridor for transactions between Iran and Syria. So they're saying um, that... It was Israeli drones that carried out this bombing and says it killed a lot of people and destroyed uh, eight trucks. So they were pretty big airstrikes. Um, all right. So the next one here, the Pentagon has failed its fifth consecutive audit amid Ukraine oversight concerns. So um, the Pentagon's comptroller said this, that. The the department has failed its fifth consecutive audit. They began these independent financial audits in 2017, and they failed everyone since. Uh, Mike McCord, he's the Pentagon comptroller, he told reporters that things did not look much different in the audit from the previous year, and that it was not the progress that he hoped for. So the audit was of the Pentagon's $3.5 trillion worth of assets and $3.7 trillion in liabilities. It concluded that the department's internal tracking of money and arms is still not good enough for a passing grade. Pentagon officials have said that they hope to pass their first audit by 2027, so they're hoping, you know, after 10 years that they'll be able to pass it. And when it comes to providing arms to Ukraine, McCord said that arming the Ukrainians is an example of why there should be better oversight, since they're supplying a military that needs to replenish equipment quickly. So basically, he's saying that the U.S. has not been in this position recently, at least, where they're fighting, you know, what he calls a near peer competitor and they're running out of a a weapon or ammunition of some kind and they need to replenish it in a couple weeks, like very quickly. Um, But he's saying that now they're arming Ukraine and this is why it matters, because if they ask for something, we have to know if we have it, you know, in the stockpiles, there has to be good records tracked you know, capped and everything. And he's saying that there haven't been examples of the U S promising equipment to Ukraine that it doesn't have in its stockpile. So when it comes to that, they haven't had any issues, but as we know, there is very little oversight of the weapons. Once they are shipped into Ukraine, the state department recently announced some oversight measures, but that, that was after over eight months of pouring all these weapons into Ukraine. So, um, you know, it was a little late, I think. But you know, so it's kind of a double-edged sword with this because you know, we criticize the oversight, and then one of the things that they do uh in the name of oversight is send military personnel into Ukraine, send weapons inspectors in there, and then that creates that's a US military presence on the ground. So then there is a tripwire um for conflict with Russia. And the Pentagon said recently that personnel based in the embassy in Kiev, the defense attache. And another, uh, and and their personnel are going out and inspecting weapons on site, and of course, no details how close to the front lines or anything like that. Uh, but we know they're there, and we also, you know, there's also reports that there's special operations forces on the ground and CIA on the ground, but that the covert uh, side of things has not been confirmed. Okay, so the next one here, the White House has told Israel that it was not behind the FBI's decision to probe the killing of Shireen Abu-Ekla, the Palestinian-American journalist who was gunned down by Israeli forces in May. This is from Axios. Um, The White House and the State Department told the Israeli government they were not behind the FBI decision to open the investigation. Uh, This is citing three Israeli and U.S. officials. So this reporter, um, Barak Ravid, Ravid, uh, he's... He's Axios' Israel reporter, and he's usually pretty good. I, I, You know, he gets a lot of scoops, and they usually turn out uh, to be right. Um, so the FBI decision is unprecedented, and it's led to, uh, you know, the Israelis are not happy. Abu Ekla, she was killed wearing a bulletproof vest marked press when she was killed in May while covering an Israeli military raid in the occupied West Bank city of Jenin. So it looks like, you know, they've been accused of intentionally targeting her. And there's been investigations by all sorts of, uh, you know, organizations and media outlets saying that it looks like she was targeted. Uh, Israel's investigation, they're claiming that there was like a gun battle, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So. It says that the FBI decision to open an investigation was made before the November 1st elections in Israel, but the Justice Department officially notified the Israeli government three days after the elections. Once notified, senior Israeli officials asked U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides, for more information. And according to the officials, Nides said that he didn't know about the investigation. Um, So... Yeah, you know, they're playing dumb here. Who knows? I mean, the idea that the FBI would order this investigation on its own uh, is a little tough for me to believe. Um, but the White House and the State Department as well, they're saying that they weren't part of this decision by the Department of Justice. Um, but either way, the Israelis aren't happy. And I guess the Biden, it, you know, the White House and the State Department are trying to act like wash their hands of the whole situation. Uh, but that's it for the news for today. And, uh, we got a lot of good viewpoints as always. One from Ted Snyder about Ukraine's, uh, conditions for diplomacy. He's asking if they dropped talk of an accelerated NATO bid. And, uh, we have a good spotlight from George O'Neill at the American Conservative about the situation, you know, the lead up to the war in Ukraine. Blame the deep state for carnage in Ukraine. That's very good. Uh, from One from Judge Knapp, the FBI and Zero Click. Um, so this is about surveillance sor- software, the Pegasus, how the FBI apparently was ready to use it, but then it got some negative press. Uh, but he gets into some details about that. Um, oh, there's actually a good one uh, at Responsible Statecraft from Connor Eccles about how a lightly sourced AP story almost set off World War III. So it's about that uh, initial report from AP that cited a U.S. official that said it was Russian uh, missiles that, that hit Poland. Um, so that's a good one. And then Kit Clarenberg at the Gray Zone, uh, FTX. So it's this crypto exchange. I have to really, I, I haven't even read this yet. I have to read this. I have to figure out exactly what happened here because there's just so much stuff going around. But it looks like um you know there is some there's connection with the Ukrainian government. So it's definitely something I gotta read myself. Um but that's it for me for today. Um you could support the show at war.com slash donate, like, subscribe on YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, download where you listen to audio podcasts, leave reviews and all that good stuff, Um, but I'll catch you tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.